Listen to any earnings call with the Borsa Earnings Call mobile app now available on the App Store. Check the show notes for the download link. Good morning and welcome to the United Health Group third quarter 2018 earnings conference call. A question and answer session will follow United Health Group's prepared remarks. As a reminder, this call is being recorded. Here's some important introductory information. This call contains forward-looking statements under U.S. federal securities laws. These statements are subject to risks and uncertainties that could cause actual results to differ materially from historical different experience or present expectations. A description of some of the risks and uncertainties can be found in the reports that we file with the Securities and Exchange Commission, including the cautionary statements included in our current and periodic filings. This call will also reference non-GAAP amounts. A reconciliation of the non-GAAP to GAAP amounts is available on the Financial Reports and SEC Filing section of the company's investors page at www.unitedhealthgroup.com. Information presented on this call is contained in the earnings release we issued this morning and in our Form 8K dated October 16, 2018, which may be accessed from the investors page of the company's website. I will now turn the conference over to the Chief Executive Officer of United Health Group, Mr. David Wickman. Please go ahead. Good morning, everyone, and thank you for joining us. Earlier today, we reported strong operating and financial results across our enterprise. Those results provide a sense of the capacities to advance growth within our businesses, capacities rooted in the breadth and adaptability of our business approach, and above all, in our mission, helping people live healthier lives and helping make the health system work better for everyone. Executing on this mission produces real value for the people we serve and for society in the U.S. and globally through higher quality healthcare delivery with better outcomes at lower costs, leading to improved consumer satisfaction. Executing on our mission also produces steadily advancing growth and financial value. Third quarter revenues grew 12% to $56.6 billion, and third quarter adjusted earnings per share grew 28% to $3.41. We now expect our full year adjusted earnings per share to approach $12.80, growth of about 27%. This increases our outlook by 17 cents per share from the midpoint of our range last quarter. These results are grounded in persistently applying three core competencies, information, technology, and clinical insights across our businesses. At no time in our history has our work in these three competencies held more promise than today, as they powerfully combine to unlock healthcare value for those we serve. We organize and align data, both clinical and administrative, around the healthcare consumer using proprietary tools and technologies which evaluate data and care patterns against evidence-based guidelines. Pairing highly personalized data and best-known science we offer next best action for consumers while providing them full transparency into the quality and cost of services offered by their local health systems. We engage our own clinical care resources as well to directly support consumers' individual healthcare needs. We further use data to improve compliance with evidence-based medicine, raising overall satisfaction with care and reducing unnecessary resource consumption. We increasingly do this through employed and affiliated integrated care teams and in more ambulatory care settings, sharing this knowledge at critical points of decision-making. Building and applying these competencies persistently to serve each individual we touch, the broader communities and societies we are a part of, 
and you, our shareholders, requires thoughtful continuing investments internally and in alignment with others through well-developed research and develop, development, venture, and M&A capacities. You can see the broad impact of these competencies in each of our five growth pillars. In care delivery, we use data analytics in concert with our knowledge of local market clinical performance to get patients to the best doctors, care pathways, and sites of service for particular conditions, and to inform development of value-based care arrangements for our employed and affiliated care providers. Increasingly, these are shared risk and performance-based relationships. In consumer-centric health benefits, information is powering modern product designs supported by performance networks, tools, and incentive programs to advance quality and engagement, improving appropriate consumer access while reducing the cost of healthcare. Specific examples include our new on-demand healthcare and Colorado Doctors Plan offerings, and our designs for the duly eligible and Medicare Advantage participants. All of these hold promise for continued growth across our benefits businesses. You see it in pharmacy care services where we have integrated medical and pharmacy information and provide point-of-care technologies to simplify administration, improve drug selection and adherence, and reduce not only pharmacy costs, but medical care costs as well, all increasingly within the clinical workflow of doctors. You see it in digital health, where our consumer digital health platform Rally is now serving over 20 million registered users. Rally is synthesizing information and engaging people to better manage their health, helping consumers save money by selecting the highest quality care providers, understanding their out-of-pocket costs upfront, and in some markets, even scheduling appointments for care. We will soon be releasing at scale a first-of-kind, fully integrated and fully portable individual health record that delivers personalized next best health actions to people and their caregivers. And finally, in global healthcare, we are bringing payment integrity, analytics, and network and product innovations to key private healthcare markets in South America in support of both our health benefits businesses as well as our extensive care delivery operations. These are just a few examples of how we deploy these core competencies in our businesses. Taken more broadly, they give you a sense of United Health Group's potential to drive distinctive, constructive change, sustain growth and performance for those we serve. Now let me turn it to Andrew Witte to build on these comments and to update on our Optum businesses. Andrew? Thank you, Dave. Taking a mission and competency approach enables us to think more deeply and holistically about the healthcare landscape. At Optum, we are focused on building and developing a broad set of capabilities which support our vision of delivering better healthcare more affordably. We're still early in the journey of releasing the full potential of our assets in both the digital and local care environments. Optum will lead by offering deeply customer-focused, simple-to-access, high-quality healthcare actions and options. We are seeing extensive opportunities to build out our capacities and are committed to stepping up our pace of innovation on behalf of our clients and consumers. Looking at third quarter results, our revenues grew $2.5 billion over last year to $25.4 billion, with growth accelerating to 11% from 9% in the second quarter. This revenue advance was again well balanced with strong growth rates from both internal and unaffiliated customers, consistent with recent quarters. Our metrics were indicative of this growth across the businesses. OptumRx fulfilled 331 million scripts in the quarter, generating revenue growth in excess of 
Optum Health served 92 million people with revenues increasing over 15%. And Optum Insight backlog grew nearly 13% to $15.7 billion at quarter end. Themes of productivity and operational excellence continued in the third quarter, as Optum's operating margin of 8% increased 60 basis points over last year, with each business strongly expanding operating margins year over year and sequentially. Earnings from operations grew $334 million, or nearly 20% to $2 billion, with strength across Optum Health, Optum Insight, and Optum RX. This continues a long-standing trend of proportionally greater Optum earnings in the second half of the year, and positions as well for 2019. The businesses of Optum Health engage people in their health and well-being, help them manage their health conditions, and increasingly provide care through our high-value clinicians and care delivery sites. Growth at Optum Health continues to be led by the development of the care delivery businesses as a primary care-driven ambulatory care system. Optum Care provides primary care in 35 priority markets and serves 80 health plans and 14 million people, up 2.6 million patients, or 23%, compared to a year ago. Patient growth was driven by increases in our high-value sites-of-service businesses and growth in our existing primary care markets. And yet, many of our local efforts remain in an early investment stage. Building out this high-performing ambulatory care system will occupy us for the next decade as we progressively deliver significantly improved outcomes, quality, and value to patients. At Optum Insight, we serve health plans, care providers, life science organizations, and governments with data analytics insights and innovative solutions to make better decisions and investments and to better manage performance, quality and their cost structures. Over the past several years, we have focused on the further development and growth of our care provider services and capabilities, an area where we see meaningful opportunity. Here in particular, I'd note revenue management, outsourcing solutions and data analytics and advisory services as important contributors to our recent growth. I'm enthusiastic about OptumRx and its differentiated, integrated pharmacy care services approach. This business enables us increasingly to advance high-quality, high-value specialty pharmaceutical, e-commerce, and site-of-service initiatives, combined with convenient local market dispensing, all centered on whole-person whole care. Launching the nation's first-ever scaled application of pharmacy discounts at the point of sale will further improve the value consumers receive. We are actively supporting efforts at HHS and CMS to transform pharmacy pricing by engaging in Part B drug and site-of-service management, formulary approaches, and other initiatives to bring better healthcare value to people. OptumRx is becoming increasingly diversified and capable, meeting consumers where their needs are greatest. With growing contributions from specialty medical management, to directly serving high-needs patients with critical access and adherence services through community-based dispensing and delivery to offering fulfillment services for limited distribution specialty drugs. I see OptumRx as a champion of the consumer in an area where it's difficult for individuals to have a truly effective voice. Through our depth of insight, data, and clinical capabilities, we can help inform and amplify their voice. Within our pharmacy care services approach stands an immense opportunity to transform what has been a challenging area of the health system and positively impact people's lives. 
While it's early in my time at Optum, I'm struck by the sheer size and depth of the opportunity, resources, and capacity Optum has to drive extraordinary innovation across healthcare, making people healthier and helping make healthcare systems work better. After more than three decades in healthcare, I've never seen an organization with the potential of Optum. And now I'd like to turn the call over to Steve Nelson, United Healthcare CEO. Thank you, Andrew. United Healthcare's market position is supported by a foundation of consumer value drawn from the breadth and diverse array of health benefit choices, competitive costs, distinctive care quality, and market responsive consumer service. Together, these deliver stability, peace of mind, and value to the nearly 50 million people we serve. Our agenda is to drive a higher NPS and increase value by advancing our service experience, market-leading innovations, and the total cost of care. Our approach and mindset across the enterprise enable United Healthcare to serve each individual with compassion while addressing the evolving healthcare needs of society, driving growth and returns for shareholders. In the third quarter, United Healthcare revenues grew to $45.9 billion an increase of $5.2 billion over last year and accelerating to 13% growth. Over the past 12 months, we have been privileged to serve 2.8 million more people by way of organic growth and an expanded presence in South America. UnitedHealthcare's earnings from operations were $2.6 billion with a 5.6% operating margin. Overall, medical cost trends remain well-managed, predictable, and consistent with expectations. In operations, we're delivering a better and more modern consumer and care provider experience while driving productivity and affordability improvements in our cost structure through technology, better processes, and the benefits of growth and scale. In United Healthcare Medicare and Retirement, we continue to innovate and grow. United Healthcare served 125,000 more people through Medicare Advantage offerings in the third quarter, including the 65,000 members of People's Health in Louisiana, the highest Medicare star quality plan in that state. We expect strong growth again next year. With the 2019 marketing season now underway, we're receiving positive feedback on our new offerings from brokers and consumers. This year, more than 50 million people nationwide will have a choice of multiple plans from United Healthcare, and we're emphasizing our stability and value for seniors. Well more than 90% of our current Medicare Advantage members, more than 4.5 million people, will see either no premium increase or a premium decrease, even as we provide personalized navigation, introduce new value-added benefits at no additional cost and increase and modernize access for seniors to fitness and wellness services, virtual visits, and reliable transportation for medical appointments. Today, Medicare Advantage programs serve only about 20 million people nationally and a growing senior population of 60 million people. We deliver Medicare medical benefits at an average cost that is more than 20% lower than original Medicare, with costs in our higher performing markets as much as 30% below original Medicare. We convert these cost advantages into highly valued benefits and services for seniors, filling 
the significant gaps in coverage within original Medicare. Our programs focused on higher acuity populations like Medicare Advantage remain an extraordinary growth opportunity for United Healthcare because we can offer such strong value. United Healthcare employer and individual grew to serve 65,000 more people through risk-based commercial products in the third quarter. Our growing market share in fully insured products in recent years reflects our rising NPS with customers, consumers, care provider partners, and our distribution partners. Strong customer retention rates and the increasing value we deliver with consumer-centric products, tailored networks, and greater consumer engagement are important drivers of growth. In 2019 and 2020, we expect to introduce additional products supported by performance networks and will launch advanced digital capabilities providing even greater personalization, simplicity, and value for consumers. In United Healthcare community and state, growth over the past year was led by higher need and therefore higher revenue membership, such as those who are duly eligible or participate in long-term services and support programs. Medicaid membership grew organically by 5,000 people in the quarter, offset by the divestiture of our plan representing 85,000 community-based members in New Mexico. We continue to focus on delivering value to our state partners by advancing health and improving our total cost of care and operating cost positions in Medicaid. At United Healthcare Global, our integrated delivery systems, primary care health center model, and progressive use of information and technology are creating value for our customers in South America. We continue our disciplined approach of, price, of pricing health benefits to their expected costs, and our hospitals in Brazil continue to improve their performance as measured by health outcomes, NPS, and financial returns. United Healthcare Global is creating value with our Benmedica colleagues in Chile, Peru, and Colombia with early progress in population health management, clinical management, and analytic capabilities. Initial focus areas include the adoption of evidence-based clinical guidelines and site-of-care strategies for high-utilizing patients. Looking ahead, we expect sustained strong growth and improved earnings performance from United Healthcare. Our investments in innovative products, capabilities, and the consumer experience will increasingly be brought to market, even as we focus on delivering market-leading total cost of care. And we believe United Healthcare is uniquely positioned to serve in the high growth, higher acuity submarkets like Medicare, duals, or patients with complex and chronic conditions. Now I'll turn the call over to John Rex, United Health Group's Chief Financial Officer. Thank you, Steve. To bring all the previous comments together, this morning we reported $56.6 billion in third quarter revenues, growth of 12.4% over last year. Earnings from operations of $4.6 billion grew 12.3% on strong operating margins of about 8%. Adjusted earnings per share increased 28% to $3.41. Third quarter adjusted cash flows were $6.1 billion, or 1.9 times net income. Of note, we made a $2.6 billion payment to the U.S. Treasury in October 1 for our customers' portion of the nation's health insurance tax for 2018 which will factor into our fourth quarter cash flow results. 
With nine months of 2018 complete, our original outlook for commercial medical cost trend of 6% plus or minus 50 basis points is biasing just slightly lower than 6%. In the third quarter, our consolidated medical care ratio of 81% compares to 81.4% in the year-ago quarter and reflects the impact of the health insurance tax offset by changes in business mix and development. Medical reserves developed favorably in the quarter by 50 million. Within that result, we had approximately 120 million of favorable de development for 2018 and 70 million in unfavorable prior year development. Our third quarter operating cost ratio of 15% increased only 30 basis points over last year, despite bearing about one percentage point of cost increase from the return of the health insurance tax as well as higher investments in innovation and business development. We offset that pressure with operating expense discipline across the board and strong revenue growth in lower operating cost ratio businesses such as Medicare and Medicaid. Turning to our balance sheet, return on equity for the third quarter reached nearly 26% and our debt to total capital ratio was 38.9% at September 30. We have repurchased 3.7 billion of stock year to date for approximately $233 per share. And we continue to apply capital to our businesses through M&A, venture investments, and organic development to strengthen our offerings for customers and further diversify our enterprise. Taken together, our strong and diversified growth, disciplined cost management, and strategic use of capital are combining to produce another year of meaningful financial performance. As Dave mentioned, we now expect 2018 adjusted earnings approaching $12.80 per share, growth of approximately 27%. Dave? Thank you, John. As we close out the third quarter, attention naturally turns to 2019. We will reserve the majority of this conversation for our November 27 investor conference, but I can offer a few high-level observations at this time. The environment in 2019 will contain, as always, a mix of elements common to the broad marketplace and those unique to us. Overall, our individual businesses are building from a fundamentally strong foundation, and we continue to create strong momentum heading into next year. We will continue to advance NPS, supporting continued growth across our businesses. Our accelerating investment levels will fund the delivery of compelling innovations into 2019 and 2020. And as we evaluate the many opportunities we see over the next number of years, we believe our long-term performance will remain aligned with our long-term goal of earnings per share growth of 13 to 16%. We enter 2019 with energy and optimism for the future. And I would offer at this distance, the current market consensus estimate for adjusted earnings per share captures our 2019 outlook within a typically sized range. As always, we, seek, we will seek to perform to our full potential. Advancing distinctive, constructive change in healthcare is an enormous and complex undertaking. We believe we have a lot to offer, advancing more value for consumers while mitigating costs for those who pay for care. Our strategies do not depend or reside on a single piece of technology, database, distribution system, clinical approach, 
funding mechanism, or any other singular view of what it takes to make a durable and meaningful difference in healthcare. Rather, our potential resides in the combination of our diverse market presence, our data, technology, and clinical competencies, the compassion, integrity, and deep healthcare knowledge and skills of our nearly 300,000 people, the millions of trusted relationships we have earned over time, and our understanding of and full alignment to the rapidly advancing standards of performance individuals and health systems worldwide demand from their healthcare. Our people and this deeply motivated, restless, diverse, and adaptable leadership team are fully engaged in improving value for society and delivering consistent, distinctive financial results. Let me close now and open up the call to your questions. One question per person, please, so we can respond to everyone in the queue this morning. And at this time, if you have a question or comment, please press star and one on your touchtone phone. You may remove yourself from the queue by pressing the pound key. Again, we ask you to limit to one question so we can get to as many participants as possible. Thank you. We'll take our first question from Matthew Borsch with BMO Capital Markets. Please go ahead. Your line is open. Uh, thank you. Good morning. Uh, if you could uh, comment on your outlook for the uh, Medicare open enrollment season, and I, I just within that, uh, you know, the, the, the trend in, in 2018 uh, has been very heavily skewed in favor of the, the large public companies. Uh, I'm wondering if you can comment on that uh, as it relates to prior years and <clears throat> if you expect that to continue. Thank you. Uh, well, Matt, thank you for your question. Uh, obviously, it's an area of strength uh, for our organization. We have performed exceptionally well in growing uh, in the Medicare Advantage market, both the individual as well as the serving uh, group accounts as well. Um, it takes a lot of uh, planning and execution. Our team is, is very strong in that regard, and uh, I think we expect a, a very nice result to develop for 2019 as well. Let me ask uh, Brian Thompson to add to that. Thanks, Dave. Brian Thompson here. Yeah, Matthew, 19 is shaping up as a really great year, I think, for seniors at large and the MA industry. Uh, specifically, we are certainly optimistic uh, about our products and how they compare. What we're seeing in the marketplace is consistent with our expectation and certainly gives us confidence about our positioning. Uh, we expect to drive another very strong year of MA growth and continue our momentum that we've demonstrated now for several years. Um, I, I think as we approach the year, uh, what we're seeing in the marketplace looks like what we had expected, very pleased with our position, uh, really no surprises, uh, and I think you can expect more growth from us in 2019. All right, thank you. Next question, please. We'll go next to Justin Lake with Wolf Research. Please go ahead, your line's open. Uh, thanks. Uh, first uh, on that, I apologize, uh, did you, the, on the Medicare Advantage, uh, the CMS is estimating 11.5% growth for next year. Um, just curious if, if you agree with that. And then my question is really on the PBM side. You acquired two specialty pharmacies in the quarter. Uh, wanted to get your updated view on the PBM business, given all the debate in the sector around the sustainability of margins and economics in general and the future of rebates in particular. Thanks. Thank you, Justin. Uh, you know, of course, we have our own uh, points of view about uh, what we expected the growth rate to be uh, in, in the uh, um, Medicare Advantage market. And of course, CMS's number was, uh, was, was quite a bit higher than that. I think we're, we're still indexed on a, on a lower expectation, but uh, we certainly would be pleased to see 
that growth rate overall. Earl Brian, if you have anything to add to that. No, I think you said it right, Dave. As we've said in previous quarters, we look at the long-term industry growth rates for MA, more in that 7 to 8% range. As I said last quarter, Justin, our planning is certainly to outpace that rate as we have now for four or five years. Uh, as Dave said, a lot of optimism, but a lot of ranges around what the growth rate might be for 2019. I don't think it'll be instructive for us to chime in on what that percentage might be, but certainly optimistic, certainly uh, reasons for it to strengthen, and, and we're pleased with how we're positioned as we approach 19. Yeah. And a very insightful question also, uh, Justin, on the uh, specialty pharma acquisitions. We are um, very excited about those. There's, there's a lot of adaptability uh, for those across multiple aspects of our business. Uh, Andy Whitty, would you like to comment? Yeah, no, thanks, Dave. Uh, so again, thanks for the question. Uh, yes, during the quarter, we acquired both Avella and Genoa, um, both of which are, are going to be potentially very important uh, additions to our specialty pharmacy portfolio. They've made very small contribution in the quarter itself, but going forward, we see them offering uh, distinctive uh, contributions in, in the behavioral space as well as in the specialty, particularly the uh, oncology space. To your more general question um, around the role and, and the importance of PBMs, I think it's important to reflect uh, on really the fundamental role of the PBM offers, which is to aggregate volume and to ensure a pricing discipline within the pharmaceutical sector, without which there really wouldn't be any kind of discipline uh, around drug price increasing phenomena. As you know, drug companies are free to increase prices at will. Uh, the PBM acts as a mechanism to uh, discipline that process. Uh, historically, that's been through the rebating mechanism. Uh, as we look forward, um, we're ready for whatever evolution of that marketplace might take place. The diversification of the OptumRx portfolio into a really uh, diversified portfolio of pharmacy services is really displayed in its continued growth rate. Development of the Briova infusion uh, business as one example, uh, we've seen a significant uh, set of positive evolution there. To the degree to which there is change in the PBM environment, I come back to my first point. It's critical that any environment ensures that there is a disciplining mechanism for price increases in the U.S. Uh, and whether that's through rebates or any other mechanism, we're ready to engage with uh, whatever changes might come along. Uh, so, Justin, I might just uh, add, uh, you, you probably noticed or the markets have noticed a pivot uh, for us from, from a PBM to a pharmacy care uh, services-based business. And uh, I know we've been talking about that for some time, but more increasingly over the course of the last couple of years or so, uh, with Andrew here, uh, Andrew Witte, he's taken and actually modernized and advanced that approach even more so for us, really enhancing our thinking in this area. And uh, I, I think what you can expect from us is that we'll be deeply thoughtful about how we engage and participate broadly, uh, but also uh, have confidence that uh, we will navigate through this change uh, similar to the way we have across other changes in healthcare in the past. Next question, please. And we'll go next to Kevin Fishbeck with Bank of America, Merrill Lynch. Please go ahead. Great, thanks. I uh, want to go back to MA, uh, if I can, um, and, and really just thoughts about, um, you know, the margin sustainability in that business. It seems like every company is really looking to grow MA, uh, you know, as, as a key driver going forward. Every company seems to talk about growing faster than the industry. Um, and I think CMS's comments about an 11.5% number, I think, is some degree driven by the view that companies are largely improving benefits, which all else equal, I guess, would imply margin compression. So we'd just love to hear your thoughts about 
how competitive that marketplace is and, and the ability to kind of maintain margins and grow, uh, you know, the way that you're targeting over time? That's a great question, Kevin. Uh, obviously, the, the, uh, we have great confidence in our ability to sustain our, our margins and continue to grow the business. It, is, it has always been a competitive marketplace, and, and clearly there's a lot of new entrants into that, into that market as well. I think those new entrants in the competitive field make us, us just that much better. Uh, we've had some distinctive capacities in this in this category, and uh, I think that that's what makes us different and and really enhances our ability to continue to grow and sustain uh, margins by creating real value. And we'll ask Brian Thompson once again to uh, comment on maybe what some of those capacities are and provide further context. Sure, thanks, Dave. Uh, as Dave said, certainly uh, pleased with the outlook for what we see in 2019, but. Certainly want to point out the strong momentum that we've demonstrated. Uh, this is the fourth year of outpacing the industry uh, growth rate quite meaningfully, and I think it's a, a signal that our value is is resonating in the marketplace. Uh, over the last four years, benefit stability as well as the enhancements we've added, uh, our focus on a hassle-free agenda, taking out the complications for those we serve, our service model, which we call our Advocate for Me service model, uh, our very popular house calls program, the various care management programs we have all uh, virtually optum enabled are really resonating and we're seeing that value with our members uh, with our physician partners uh, and our distribution channel at large and we're really pleased to have that sort of track record and momentum as we enter what what's appearing to be a very optimistic season for seniors thank you kevin next question please our next question comes from dave winley with jeffries please go ahead hi good morning uh wanted to shift over to optum care uh, wondering how you um, or how many markets do you have substantial build out where where say a material portion of your your benefit spend on the United Healthcare side in those in those service areas where you choose to compete would be flowing through Optum Care. What kind of savings do you see from using Optum Care? And then, how do you uh, foresee the build out um, of of market of subsequent markets, of more markets to that level of, of influence? That's a great question, Dave. Uh, I think they, uh, the script uh, covered uh, some of that. When we were referring to uh, Medicare Advantage products, in particular the, the value that are created relative to original Medicare, and we were, talked about the upper limits of that being you know, the 30% or so savings category, that, that's really what we're referring to is, is the deep relationships that United Healthcare and frankly others have uh, with the OptumCare enterprise, which is a fiercely multi-payer uh, business, so serving uh, many uh, payers as we outlined in the, in the script as well. Uh, we have Andrew Hayek here. He'll, he'll uh, answer the balance of your questions. Thanks, Dave. Uh, so to add to what Dave shared, uh, just a high level, we're really pleased with the performance of OptumCare in terms of improving quality, measured by STARS and HEDIS measures, our consumer experience, we're averaging a net promoter score of 71 across OptumCare and Optum Health, and the total cost of care savings, savings to the system by driving better health, by preventing avoidable uh, admissions, by practicing evidence-based care, and to Dave's point, uh, when we do these things, we're seeing savings in the order of magnitude of 30% compared to traditional Medicare in a growing number of our mature markets. As was referenced uh, earlier, we're present in uh, 30 markets across uh, OptumCare. There are varying levels of depth in those markets, uh, but all of them are on the pathway towards value. 
uh, value-based uh, contracting, value-based clinical programs, culture, uh, how we orient our physicians. Uh, we're deepening our presence uh, in those uh, communities that we serve, um, again, at different points along the continuum, but they're all deepening uh, and growing, and we're optimistic. Uh, we're in the early stages, as Andrew Witte shared, of the potential of Optum Care. And as we generate these kinds of results for the communities we serve, the patients we serve, and our 80 health plan partners, uh, we see continued and growing interest to enter new markets and to deepen our presence in our current markets. Thank you for Very the good. question. Thank you. Uh, Dave, next question, please. And we'll go to Sarah James with Piper Jaffrey. Please go ahead. Your line's open. Thank you. I wanted to go back to your comment on 2019 uh, with being within the range of the long-term growth, uh, which you previously said was 13 to 16 percent. So there were bullish comments on Medicare and Optum growth, and then we have the HIF break, so stacking up to be more tailwinds than headwinds. Uh, so can you run us through any headwinds or tailwinds that may be missing from that and spike out um, the impact of the HIF tailwind? I think this year it was 75 cents headwind to 18, so how much is it uh, rolling off for the benefit to 19? Thanks. Sure, Sarah. Thank you. Um, so maybe what I'll give you a sense of is the, uh, generally speaking, the headwinds and tailwinds as we see, and then I'll ask John Rex to uh, cover the HIF, which I'm sure there's a lot of interest in. Um, so generally headwinds uh, end up being matters that are less specific to us, so they're, I'll call them industry-related headwinds, but we certainly have things that are unique to us as well. Um, I think it's really important always as we think about uh, planning, and we're in the midst of it right now, uh, that we, are always, we always start with a deep respect for medical costs and also around uh, positioning um, and a conservative posture on pricing uh, to ensure that we uh, fully consider those medical costs and that pricing. Um, next to that, I'd say the sufficiency of government funding is, is always of uh, concern, specifically in an environment where budgets uh, begin to tighten and as popu our population continues to age. Uh, that's going to put pressure uh, broadly on, on budgets. So our response to that is, is, is to continue our extensive advocacy activities uh, that we had in this, in this area to ensure that the voices of those that, that depend on Medicare and Medicaid are heard and, and uh, well heard. At the same time, you've heard a lot of conversation this morning around managing total cost of care and being uh, very restless around uh, driving greater value uh, to the market. So uh, we, we clearly uh, respond to that sufficiency of government funding call by uh, make sure, making sure that costs are, are contained and, and that consumers, Medicare consumers in particular, receive additional value for, the service, for, the, uh, for their uh, premium dollars. Uh, the health insurance tax is an interesting item. I'll give my take on it first, and then, uh, uh, as I said, I'll ask John to, uh, uh, at the end of the, this, to comment on it as well. But I see it as a negative. Uh, I see it uh, its return as a negative for people, for the industry, for business, for society broadly. Um, uh, if it returns, uh, the industry is going to need to once again build it into premiums. And uh, that's going to elevate them to a point of dissatisfaction among consumers. We saw that when it came back here for 2018 in particular. It affects our MPS. It, it causes unnecessary instability um, for those we serve, uh, particularly our Medicare members who are on fixed incomes. Um, beyond that, the rest of the items are pretty unique to us. Uh, but I'd call out one in particular, which is around the pacing of investments. 
Uh, as you know, we have MPS ambitions in this company. We have growth ambitions in this company. We have uh, ideals around how we can add value to the health system broadly over time. So we have new R&D, our research and development capacities. And you heard us talk about uh, a lot of startup-based businesses. OptumCare is still a startup, probably midstream in its overall development, something that will take nearly two decades to fully um, develop. But you also saw us talk, or heard us talk about things like BIND, the Colorado's Doctors Plan. And while we didn't talk about it today, we are also entering into new geographic markets for Medicare and also for uh, our commercial-based business. And all of those things uh, take uh, deep investment. But there are investments that are necessary in order to sustain that long-term, and I underscore long-term growth rate of 13 to 16% over time. You're absolutely right. We have a lot of... Uh, uh, tailwinds, and they surpass our headwinds, and that's why we can offer up the strength of that 2019 guidance that we have. Those include advances in NPS, co cost containment, and the uh, innovation that's a hallmark of this company. All those things continue to fuel growth. Uh, we expect a strong year from Medicare Advantage, as you heard from uh, Brian. Uh, but we also expect uh, continued strong growth and returns from our market competitive commercial offerings. And as I said, last quarter, we were a bit dissatisfied with our ability, particularly in the national accounts market, to advance our self-funded business. I think that's going to pivot in 2019 and begin to produce uh, growth in 2020. Our Medicaid businesses do very well on the duels and with the long-term services and sports populations. I think they can do a lot better, uh, perform a lot better with, uh, with the, the base Medicaid plans as well. OptumCare is going to enter into more new markets. It's going to also advance its risk-bearing capacities. We talked about OptumRx. It had a successful selling season again this year, uh, but it has a lot of momentum, particularly in specialty, and delivering considerable supply chain value. Um, Optum Insights performing really well on re uh, revenue cycle management and cost containment lines, and our global businesses continue to expand across both insurance and delivery. And we're going to continue to deploy capital in the business and grow as you've, as you've come to expect from us in the past. So sustaining all that really requires a significant investment. And so what we do is we thoughtfully plan about what investment capacities we have uh, so that we can invest and continue to sustain that, that kind of 13 to 16% long-term earnings growth rate uh, over time. And our idea is to uh, provide the maximum return possible for society and then uh, also our shareholders. With that, uh, maybe I'll ask John just to touch on the mechanics of the HIF tax as well. Sure, Sarah, good morning. Just a few uh, components here as we um, think about the, the HIF tax and our, our, our view on it and expectations uh, going into next year that might be uh, instructive. So I think the first thing to uh, recall is uh, uh, when we laid out our uh, initial 75 cents back in November, um, that was prior to a very important event that occurred later on, uh, which was the reduction in the corporate tax rates. That meaningfully muted uh, the impact, the headwind impact of the health insurance uh, in uh, the health insurance headwind for us uh, this year. So, and I know you're aware of that one. That, you know, that's a, a significant reduction. There are other true-ups and miscellaneous items as the year goes on, but by far and away, that would be the biggest component. So with nine months of actuals now, we'd size the 2018 
year-over-year headwind is at just over at half the level or around half the level we'd initially expected back then. Again, vast majority of that just due to the uh, corporate uh, tax reduction. As we start considering things and elements for 2019, among things we'll have to consider and, and um, be watchful for is um, when and how any year conclusions are made for the reintroduction of the tax in 2020 also, as that would have impact on the, the 2019 view. So all elements be in play, but just want to kind of also provide a little guidance on where we think it's been, uh, the impact it's had in 2018 also. Thanks for the question, Sarah. You got probably more than you asked for in the answer, but uh, we, we hope we Fantastic. were thorough. Thank you. Next question, please. And we'll go next to Josh Raskin from Nephron Research. Please go ahead. Josh, you may be on mute. Josh, are you on mute? Can, I yeah, we can, we we'll move on and we can go to Michael Baker with Raymond James. Please go okay. ahead. Great, thank you. Yeah, thanks a lot. Um, Looking for an update on the uh, shift from fee-for-service to fee-for-value, both in terms of where, you know, you guys are at now, as well as uh, on the Optum IT side, uh, the systems that you're delivering to aid providers and payers um, in that move. Okay, well, I think the, uh, the shift to fee-for-service, or a shift from fee-for-service to fee-for-value, I'll have uh, Dan uh, Schumacher, President of United Healthcare, uh, discuss and then uh, maybe Andrew if you want to tie into that as well sure thank you Michael for the question um, for your to your good point we have uh, long been pursuing uh, the transition uh, and greater orientation towards uh, value over volume um, and we're doing it in a couple of ways first trying to get uh, an increasing amount of spend under value-based constructs but then importantly second working to make sure that that spend migrates towards managing the health of a population versus just uh, individual quality metrics. So as you think about each of those components on the amount overall, today we have about $69 billion in um, value-based constructs. That represents uh, a little under half of our uh, total medical surgical spend. And uh, you know we had set a goal to get to $65 billion and we got there early, so we've reset our sights towards $75 billion by 2020. So we'll continue to progress the total volume of spend that comes under value-based constructs. And then inside that, uh, we've been very successful in that migration towards uh, a population orientation. If you look at where that sits today, about half of our value-based spend is in the more progressive relationships that orient around population outcomes. And that's up from about 38, 39% if we looked just uh, five years ago. And so we've got a lot of focus on uh, deepening those partnerships. Some of our more progressive relationships are actually with our ACO partners. And uh, in those relationships, we work to share data, share insights, uh, drive better coordination, close gaps in care for people. And as you look at that, we've had some, some very uh, successful outcomes with our ACO partners. In total, we've got about 1,000. Uh, ACOs underway, and as you look at it across Medicare, Medicaid, and commercial, we're able to drive less inpatient stays, lower readmission rates, more primary care, less ER, and uh, more preventative screening. So overall, uh, we're pleased with our progress there, and we continue to do more work, and we'll look to build on it in the future. And I think you know Andrew uh, Hayek and his team in Optum Care in 
particular are enabling all this by putting the deep infrastructure in local markets uh, from primary care through you know development of ambulatory care systems uh, to uh, to enable um, you know the other side of that coin, if you will, that Dan has just described. So, having heard from Andrew, I think we'll just uh, uh, go to to Eric Murphy uh, to for some comments on the OptumIT side. Yeah, thanks, Dave, and thanks for the question, Michael. Just piggybacking up on what Dan Schumacher shared is payers and providers continue to shift from fee-for-service to value-based care arrangements. Uh, Optum Insight offers the market uh, what we refer to as a plan-build model. On the plan side, we've got one of the largest advisory or consulting services organizations in the healthcare industry where a number of our subject matter experts assist payers and providers with how to build those arrangements so they can move from fee-for-service to value-based care. On the build side, we have Optum Performance Analytics, which we've talked about many times on this call in the past, is one of the market-leading uh, platforms to enable payers and providers to not only uh, establish risk-based relationships, but really manage both the cost and quality of care. So we, um, we see a continued shift in the marketplace from fee-for-service to value-based care and feel very strong about the enablement capabilities of Optum Insight. Thanks. Thank you. Next question, please. And we'll go next to Zach Zopkek with Morgan Stanley. Please go ahead. Hi, thanks for the question. Um, I wanted to ask on your experience now with point-of-sale rebates. I think it was about six months ago that you announced that you were going to do it for 2019 for your risk book. Um, how have those clients been taking it? Um, are they understanding what has to be done to convert to that? And have you seen any increased interest in your fee-based book and going to point-of-sale rebates for 2019? Thanks for the question, Zach. It's uh, obviously uh, a very uh, timely one as well, given all the, the news around this. We we did back in March, beginning of March this year, uh, make a decision for the seven to eight million people that uh, are in our fully insured uh, employer-based uh, business to convert them to a point-of-sale rebate um, uh, format. I'll ask Dan Schumacher to, to comment on that and then if John Prince, if you have any uh, observations about how the market is adopting this, uh, these ideals as well, I'd appreciate it. Dan. Good morning, Zach. Uh, so we did, as Dave mentioned, we announced uh, our change uh, in earlier this year, and that actually goes into effect beginning 1-1-2019 for all uh, new and renewing groups forward in our fully insured uh, group portfolio. So, you know, at, at this point, um, uh, it's it's coming up uh, on 1119 where, where we'll see that roll into place. And, you know, the reaction from our customer base and the broker community has been strong. I think it adds a, a level of transparency to consumers and helps to uh, return uh, the economic uh, incentive associated with the rebates to them at the point of sale. And that's particularly important when people are in high deductible offerings where they're sharing uh, the first dollar burden of, of health care uh, more broadly. Uh, as it relates to our self-funded client base, we continue to see uh, more interest in that offering, and uh, obviously they're trying to think about how it all balances out in the context of how they set their contribution strategy, their benefit strategy that underpins that. Uh, but we have seen some more interest. We've seen some take-up in sales. Uh, and I'd see if uh, John Prince would offer anything from his perspective. Sure, Dan. Thanks, uh, John Prince. Uh, in terms of the broader market, we've seen good uptake. You know, we've been doing this in the market for several years in terms of our large, sophisticated clients. 
we've seen a real sea change this past year with first with United Healthcare doing in their fully insured book. We have an additional million lives that are picking up in the self-insured market. Uh, we've also have additional health plan clients that are going to adopt it uh, later in 2019, 2020. In terms of a consumer experience, we're seeing a value of about $150 of value delivered back to an individual consumer when they have a point-of-sale rebate. So specifically on the high deductible health plan, there's a lot of value from a consumer experience of doing point-of-sale rebates, but overall a very solid uptake. Great, thank you. Thank you for the question, Zach. Next question, please. And we'll go next to A.J. Rice with Credit Suisse. Please go ahead. Uh, hi, everybody. Um, I might uh, take a minute to ask you about your MLR trend in the quarter. You were uh, 81%. That was better than we were thinking and uh, I think better than the consensus. Um, a couple of moving parts there I guess I'd, I'd be interested to hear your comment on. First, if there's any way to flush out uh, a little bit more granularity between the business lines and, uh, and what you saw in MLR, whether one uh, particularly outperformed or was there any area where you had any issues. And uh, second, I guess, in that um, the development, we knew that you would not have uh, probably as strong a development as you had last year, but we didn't really uh, assume that you'd have uh, actually the negative development you had in 2017, uh, related to 2017. Any comment on that? And then I think finally on as MLR trend uh, impact, uh, I think last quarter you highlighted that we should be aware that Latin America, particularly Biomedica, have a negative uh, uh, MLR impact in the second and third quarter because of the winter, and uh, it's hard to see that in the combined results. I wonder if that played out like you expected, or did you have some unusual favorable uh, trend down there? Thanks, AJ. Uh, all good questions. In the interest of time, I'll, um, it, it's just a seasonal adjustment in South America, and so they're they're moving into uh, the spring and summer months now. So we, we'll definitely see that as we move into Q4 and, and into Q1. John Rex, would you like to comment on uh, our performance on MLR and, and development? Uh, good morning, AJ. John Rex here. Yeah, just a few comments on that. So. I'm going to try to pick up um, the various components there, and hopefully I will hit on them uh, all. Like, uh, one element that I heard you refer to was just development uh, in the in the quarter. So uh, net 50 million of favorable development in the quarter, and within that we talked about 120 million of that being uh, in year, and uh, 70 million of that relating to uh, to uh, prior years. Um, you know, nothing really significant within those prior year components, I would tell you. Um, the way we look at that, that's roughly on $130 billion of medical spend from 2017. So very, very modest within the scheme of things. Um, uh, there's always um, different quarters in the year. You get coordination of benefits impacts. You get other little impacts that come in. But uh, within the scheme of, uh, of our medical spend, it's about 0.05%, so relatively modest. I look back a little past three years, so 70 this year is 110 favorable. In 17, it was 110 million unfavorable. In 16, very small amounts that uh, that that roll through there, and, and nothing that significant that I'd point out. Um, in terms of re, re, across the lines of business, also um, nothing um, really um, meaningful to point out across the different lines. Um, if I were to bias it just a little bit, I'd bias it just slightly to the uh, employer-based businesses in terms of um, where some of that development uh, was occurring in the course of the quarter. Um, you probably heard me comment uh, during my uh, prepared comments that we were biasing our, our trend outlook 
in uh, commercial uh, down a bit. Um, and within that, in, in terms of trend, we, we continue to see really what's driving most of trend is still uh, is unit cost as the main driver uh, versus utilization. And if I were to break down the components in terms of what we're seeing versus what we uh, staked out back in November in terms of the uh, individual trend components, uh, I'd characterize that probably pharmacy and inpatient are coming in at the low end of the expect expected ranges that we provided at that time. Hopefully that was responsive, AJ. Thank you for the question. Next question, please. We'll go next to Steve Tannell with Goldman Sachs. Please go ahead. Morning, guys. Maybe just follow up on that, just on the commercial side. I guess first, it, it sort of sounds as though medical cost trend may have decelerated during the quarter. Uh, is that a fair read? And if so, can you comment on sort of where you're seeing the change in the second derivative, if not for the buckets you just sort of listed? And then would also just benefit on uh, any preliminary comments on how the 19 selling season is shaping up in the commercial book, and maybe a little bit of your outlook for the uh, the cost trend as well as the um, uh, really the cost trend uh, on the forward. Okay. Stephen John Rex uh, here again. So, yeah, with regard to the buckets, which I think is what you're asking in terms of trend, uh, the components where we've seen uh, against our initial expectations we laid out in the, in, back in November were really pharmacy and inpatient um, in terms of coming at the lower end of the range. As it relates to in, inpatient, we, you know, it's been a very long-term decline uh, in inpatient. Uh, I think you know we're. We've had nine years or so of declining inpatient utilization. Um, so that has been a, a long-term trend. But both those components were the buckets where we would have seen the, the lower end of, uh, of, of the range and where we've seen some deceleration. And I don't think we're in any particular difference place on trend and MLR, you know, this quarter versus where we were last. There's, there's no watershed moment. Uh, that occurred in the in the Q3. I think it's uh, um, intensely consistent in in terms of overall performance. You know, as well as as we look at how we select our reserves and and the uh, development that comes uh, as a result. Dan, you want to pick up the last piece? Thanks, Steve. I think you asked about how the 19 selling season was shaping up, and I assume that that orients towards uh, the self-funded marketplace, just given where we sit in the year. And um, maybe I'll break that into a couple of pieces. Uh, you know, as it relates to first the national accounts uh, market segment, as I've shared uh, for the last couple of quarters, you know, the theme there is really one around incumbency. We've done you know, well to win when, when given the opportunity, but the reality is we do have a larger uh, base that we're defending um, inside that. You know, we were successful again this year in converting our retirees to group Medicare offerings. Obviously, those are a, a strong value for clients and consumers as, as well as for our enterprise. So for the self-funded portion of the national account segment, we do expect enrollment to decline in 2019. And our team is really focused on, as Dave mentioned, redoubling our efforts around uh, total cost of care. And importantly, our effectiveness in demonstrating that uh, clearly to, to clients and consultants. As you look at the broader self-funded market, you know, we continue to perform very well in the middle market segment, so clients with uh, employees up to 3,000. And uh, our public sector performance has seen some very nice improvement for 2019, including some large wins. So when we put that all together and look at the self-funded market overall, we expect some very strong year-over-year -year improvement. 
and that should result in a, a modest growth profile in 2019. And we'll look forward to breaking apart the pieces uh, and discussing it further at the investor conference in November. Thank you, Steve. Um, we have uh, several calls left in the queue, and I'd like to uh, see if we can't get through this in the next 15 minutes or so. So um, uh, we're going to go ahead and take the next question, but we'll probably you'll probably hear us tighten up our responses a bit here. Um, next question, please. And we'll go to Ralph Jacoby with City. Please go ahead. Your line's open. Thanks. Good morning. I, I just want to get a little more clarification on, on the HIF. Um, you know, seemingly you priced it through to customers, and the tax, sounds like obviously the tax benefit came after. So it, it's sort of the mindset that you have to and you expect to sort of pay it back in 2019. Is that why it might not, not be the sort of magnitude of, of tailwind we initially thought, or, or help us think through that? Thanks. John Rex? Yeah, Ralph. Um, so, in, in terms of, are you focusing on the 2019 aspect, or my comments were specifically uh, related to 2018 and, and the impact that the reduction in taxes uh, in the corporate tax rate had? Yeah, exactly. I mean, so, that, so, that benefited to you, essentially, in 2018 versus when you priced the book. So, in 2019, are customers asking for that back, or how do we think that through? So that was a that was a significant headwind, and that was part of what came into our earnings uh, into our earnings outlook when we revised earnings in January. Right, so that was a meaningful part of that. And then we weren't weren't we did not have to then price on renewing books have to price that in to any renewing books that were coming that were coming on uh, at that point. Um, so significant benefit for our customers in terms of how we approach the market and how we are able to pass on that benefit to our customers. Um, certainly, that's also a benefit that our customers are receiving in 2019 because of the absence of the HIF. And uh, we would uh, hope to also have that benefit as we move into uh, future years. Um, you know, as Dave pointed out, kind of the mere existence of the health insurance tax is a, is a headwind for uh, health care costs. So, so we look for that to accrue to our customers. Thank you, Ralph. Thanks. Next question, please. And we'll go next to uh, Lance Wilk with Sanford Bernstein. Please go ahead. Yeah, I've got um, just a question on the PBM, and, and it's kind of three short points, but, but very tight. Don't worry. Um, the first one is just if you could talk a little bit about uh, the mail penetration rate and how you're doing with specialty steerage there, how they contrast with prior years, I guess related to that, how you're thinking about e-commerce and Potentially adding um, online pharmacy options like um, like Amazon, and then within the context of that, if you want to talk a little about PBM sales for 2019, both direct and and the cross sales with the large self-funded groups. Thanks. Thank you. Um, I will direct it straight to John Prince. Uh, great, Lance. Uh, John Prince. Uh, cover the selling season first. We've had we're just wrapping up the 2019 selling season. If you look at the uh, season, we had additional RFP volume, so it was up year over year. Year over year. In terms of clients sold, uh, we've actually sold more clients in 2019 for business than we did in 2018 selling season. So uh, we have additional clients uh, year over year. Uh, it's in line with our expectations. So we're uh, excited about our, our sales. We've had a couple of good state wins, a couple of new health plans, uh, unions, and as well as um, a couple of large employers. Uh, retention is also very solid as we look into Woman 19. Uh, we're going to have uh, retention of 98% or higher uh, as we go into uh, uh, 2019, which is three years in a row of, of solid retention. In terms of the other part of your question, which is mail penetration specialty, 
uh, and e-commerce, uh, that has really been the uh, driver of our growth over the last year, is we've been increasing our mail penetration, uh, driving additional uh, specialty volume. Uh, we've been very successful in winning in the open market. Remember, the, the biggest volume of business and specialty and infusion is uh, open sourced in terms of competing in the market. We've done a great job of getting a sales force out there, uh, competing with a great product, uh, solid NPS uh, from a consumer standpoint and from a physician standpoint. And we're just winning better day in, day out in terms of in the market, and that's been driving our growth. Thank you for the question, Lance. Uh, next question, please. And we'll go next to Mike Neuschel with Evercore ISI. Please go ahead. Uh, thanks. Uh, we've seen a few recent data points suggesting that the trend toward high deductible plans in the employer business may be slowing or even peaking. Is that something you're seeing? And do you think there's a certain point where employers have already exercised that high deductible option will look for new benefit design options? And uh, you know, what would that look like? Are you seeing any pickup in interest in things like narrow or high value networks, medical and pharmacy integration, digital wellness tools, things like that? You, you just hit upon all the, I think, the you know, some of the primary growth drivers and what a lot of employers are looking for in healthcare. High deductible health plans have been um, one of the fastest growing uh, product lines out there uh, for some time now, having been first introduced uh, back all the way into 2004, I guess it was, or maybe three, maybe even earlier than that, uh, for that matter. But the, the items you just pointed out are the same items that we um, also labeled in the script, uh, our work around uh, digital technologies, uh, providing deeply personalized information to consumers, um, uh, the way in which we uh, drive value-based arrangements and connect incentives across uh, both the, the, uh, 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 the continuum of care but also between uh, healthcare consumers and healthcare uh, providers is, is all, those are all essential parts of what uh, employers are looking for. They're also looking for uh, tighter levels of integration, um, too, and they're expecting that not only from our benefits business, but they're also expecting it from our services business, particularly as we get into healthcare delivery, and that's where the technical solutions and information solutions that, that Optum Insight offers uh, to both uh, Optum RX as well as to Optum Health really deeply um, respond to the to the uh, to the demands of, of that marketplace and frankly they they transcend uh, employer into the Medicare and Medicaid market as well next question please and we'll go next to Charles Wright with Cowan please go ahead your line is open oh uh, yeah th hey thanks for taking the questions I, I wanted to follow up uh, earlier comments when you were talking about point of sale rebates uh, just trying to get a sense on um, are, are you guys passing back 100% of the rebates uh, to the member at the point of sale, or, or is it maybe some portion of it? Because, um, you know, my understanding there's some concerns, uh, perhaps from PBMs themselves, right? Uh, if you pass back 100%, um, you know, the retailers can sort of backtrack into sort of what your rebate arrangements are like. Can you tell can you give us a sense a little bit more of the mechanics on how uh, the process works, and then you know, related to that, you know, as this market evolves in the PBM space, are you looking at, you know, can you talk about what types of uh, new pricing models you're exploring with clients? Um, you know, perhaps you know, going more at risk on price uh, in a sort of a PMPM model. Uh, thanks. Um, uh, Dan, do you want to take the point of sale rebate piece? Because um, I believe that relates to United Healthcare's efforts, effective 1119, 
and you know what percentage of that gets passed back through, which is the, the vast, vast majority of it. Sands, you know, a hold back for some of the, the work that, that we do as well. But anyway, anything further to add to that, Dan? No. Okay, great, thanks. Sorry to drain that for you. John Prince, do <laughs> you wanna comment on the second part? Uh, sure, uh, thank you for the question, Charles, about the new pricing models. We've been out in the market talking about total cost of care for several years, uh, which has really resonated in the market. Uh, clients have been interested in how we can guarantee that. So we've had models in the market for about two years of uh, total cost of care guarantees. So if they look at and work with us around medical behavioral pharma, around what additional value we can deliver, uh, another model we've been in the market with is also around a trend guarantee around pharmacy. Uh, and so we have a variety of models that we've been partnering with our more leading edge clients uh, to develop a solution and deliver that value. Great. Thank you for the question. Next question, please. And we can go next to Gary Taylor with JP Morgan. Please go ahead. Hi, good morning. Um, I wanted to ask about something I thought was fairly significant in the prepared comments and um, wanted to flesh out a little bit, but you had talked about the fully portable electronic health record soon to be released at scale. I know you've talked about um, that as uh, an ambition for on the um, on the rally chassis, um, I believe. But my two questions would be, you know, when and when you say at scale, what lines of business and what parts of the country are we talking about? And then just the last piece, just Give us a little bit on the technology. So if, if I roll in with my Rally EHR and my providers on CERN or Epic or Athena, you know, how do they actually interface with this, this portable medical record that I'm, that I'm coming in with? Thank you. It's a great question, Gary, uh, and thank you for it. Uh, as outlined in our November 2017 uh, conference, we had the ambition uh, by the end of 2019 to uh, develop uh, uh, individual health records for the 50 million fully benefited members uh, that we serve. Uh, we would use the rally chassis, which, as, as indicated, um, now has 20 million registered users to uh, provide uh, individuals in a way which they can comprehend a um, a, uh, a tool, if 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 you will, not only outlining their um, uh, their individual health record, but also giving them next best action uh, detail. That's what I mean by when I say it's deeply personalized. It's organized around them, not based upon um, generic criteria. It also uh, assesses to what extent that they've been and how they've been served by the health system broadly and uh, whether or not there's been any gaps in care that have been left behind. Our ambitions are also to take that to um, care providers uh, uh, to provide them with uh, similar information, but in a format that looks a little bit more like their uh, their uh, EHR. So, um, and again, would include next best action as well. And so uh, that would be provided uh, f to the physician in the workflow of the physician's office. And you might imagine, um, what that could ultimately lead to in terms of uh, continuing to develop a transaction flow between the, the physician and us and the consumer and us uh, as us as being the custodian to try to drive uh, better health outcomes for people, uh, but also ensure that the highest level of quality is adhered to, uh, quality defined by evidence-based practices, uh, and then also uh, containing costs and eventually to uh, incent the health system around deep 
uh, responding to those deeply personal circumstances and situations. So we believe it to be uh, pretty transformative across our business. It's something that we'll update you again uh, here this uh, coming November at our investor conference, and we look forward to doing so. Thank you for the question. Next question, please. Our next question is from Peter Costa with Wells Fargo. Please go ahead. Hey, thanks for squeezing me in, guys. You know, just looking at, at your performance, it's really quite strong in a number of areas, and you know, you, it makes you wonder you know, when you look at the not-for-profit Blue Cross and Blue Shield plans, they, their performance seems to have improved as well. And one of the few places where you have some weakness is where they're the biggest competitors, and that's in terms of the national account business. Do you think that's a sign that the health insurance cycle is starting to, to turn over at this point, or is, the, or is the health insurance cycle dead at this point? Um, I, I don't know that I'd be uh, willing to make any uh, project, pro projections on on the, the cycle overall. All I can say is, is that our business, in a very multidimensional way, both on healthcare benefits and services, um, is seeking to uh, compete on um, multiple fronts, really driving um, or accessing you know the strengths of the organization around its ability to um, take information um, and apply technology, and then in local markets um, organize uh, clinical delivery systems to drive uh, better outcomes, uh, lower total cost of care, and greater consumer satisfaction. You see that measured uh, pretty consistently across the the board of our, of our organization. Uh, my only regret sometimes is uh, whether or not we can do that faster and, and to have an even greater impact, and that is what our deep intention is. I do think that our momentum around our competitiveness continues to accelerate, and uh, as a result, I think you continue to see the broad-based results uh, that are indicated in this, this release and also in the ambitions that we have for 2019 and beyond. Uh, it takes a lot of thought to make a commitment around a 13 to 16% long-term growth rate and to step out in 2019 the way that we have. And, um, but we're, we're highly confident. This is a highly engaged management team. Uh, they are uh, confident in their, their abilities to deliver those kinds of results consistently. And uh, our aim is to do so uh, both to serve society as well as uh, each and every one of our shareholders. So thank you for the question. Um, uh, we'll take uh, one more one more question, and then uh, we'll be done. And we'll take that question from Anna Gupta with Lee Rink Partners. Please go ahead. Uh, hey, thanks for squeezing me in. I uh, wanted to follow up on your commentary about 2019, then pivoting to growth in self-funded in, in 2020. And any thoughts on the, the recent news flow about employers going direct uh, to providers doing their own member engagements and so on, and is there anything you're doing to, you know, improve NPS scores there, and what's driving the possible growth in 2020? Uh, no, that's, uh, that's a good question. Our, our NPS scores with uh, large employers are very strong, um, and they continue to advance nicely year over year uh, as well. Um, as it relates to uh, specific arrangements that employers may want to pursue in individual markets, we, of course, enable that. We're, we're not you know, biased by any particular format. There are customers we aim to serve their needs. And uh, uh, so we, we do assist in enabling that as well as you know, a number of other features that may exist in their benefit design and service composition. So 
Um, we're an adaptable company. Our, our, our goal is to serve, serve people, serve uh, consumers, and also serve health systems broadly. And um, I think that shows up uh, in, in some of the most prolific ways in the, in the large employer market. Thank you for your question. If I uh, can, then I'll, uh, I will uh, uh, close. And some of our comments today, United Health Group, Optum, and United Healthcare are driven by a single mission. Uh, we are actively and persistently engaged in helping to transform healthcare to make higher quality care accessible to more people, more simply and affordably in the U.S. and worldwide. We expect to continue to build on this year's strong momentum through the end of 2018 into 2019 and well beyond. But we never take our forward advance for granted. Every day, the people of this enterprise are committed to serving individuals and local communities one person, one system at a time with true compassion, high quality, and innovative performance. We look forward to sharing much more with you during our annual investor conference on November 27th. Thank you for joining us this morning. This concludes our call. And this will conclude this, today's program. Thanks for your participation. You may now